Welcome to Gucci Row on the Rebel HD2. I'm your host, Kevin Kelly, with co-host Will Despart. Sitting Gucci Row like they say up at UNLV. Thanks for tuning in to our courtside conversations covering all things NBA. Young Rebel, young money, nothing you can tell me. Gucci Row, welcome back to episode two. I'm your host, Kevin Kelly. I'm your co-host, Will Despart. And today, uh, we have a good episode. We're going to get into uh, a few topics, one being a player spotlight that we have, um, where we'd like to shed some light on, uh, you know, just an individual who is uh, stepping up and um, deserves some attention. Um, And then we're going to get into uh, a bit of talk about the U.S. men's national team and um, FIBA coming up. before we get into playoff awards, which um, are like all the regular season awards with you know MVP, Defensive Player of the Year, and all that, except we're going to treat it as if it's just for the playoffs and assign it as that. Um, and then if we get to it, we have a draft of the best NBA player rappers and also some talk about Dynasty, which will be next episode if we don't. Will, how are you feeling today? Pretty good, man. How are you? Good, good, good. It's... Uh, it's feeling good. It's the finals are on. You know we uh, we got a lot going on in basketball, so it feels good. Hopefully, we'll be feeling a lot better in the morning after a heat W tonight. Mm. We'll yep. see. Felt good after the last one, so I hope to keep it rolling. Um, speaking of the heat, I guess we'll get into the career spotlight. Um, on this episode, we're gonna really focus on Gabe Vincent and just uh, you know, spend a few minutes talking about his career path and um, how he got here and how he's been so influential to this team. Um, uh, his name is Gabriel Namdi Vincent. Um, I, it's funny, after game two, uh, Spo went to the presser and um, his, they asked him a question about Gabe and his um, immediate response was, we love Namdi. He basically said like, um, to the national media to like go do their research because this this guy has an like an incredible story. His come up is amazing, and it's definitely worth way more media attention than it gets. Some more on his name too. After the Olympic or not the Olympic run, well, they did go to the Olympics, but during the qualifying, they beat Team USA, which we'll get into more later. And after that, he said in an interview, "It's almost like an alter ego of sorts." Speaking about his name, Namdi, I almost become a different person, and that's on him on embracing the differences between the name Namdi and his. NBA name or his given name in the U.S. Gabe. Yeah, I think that's awesome. Um, I I love when players uh, embrace their um, background and uh, um, really take pride in that. I think that's awesome. So uh, a bit of background on him. He was born in June 1996 in Modesto, California to his Nigerian father, Dr. Franklin Vincent, and his mother, Dr. Cynthia Vincent, who's from Connecticut. Um, and both of them have doctorates in psychology from um, University of Cal. Um, Gabe played uh, high school at St. Mary's in Stockton, California, which um, is actually the same as ACES champion Chelsea Gray, um, who we both saw this year win the, uh, <laughs> win the WNBA finals. But Absolute beast. Yep. Um, yeah, she was huge in the finals. But uh, a- after St. Mary's, Gabe went on and played four years at um, UC Santa Barbara and graduated with a BA and a Bachelor's of Arts in Religion Studies and a minor in History. 
He was academic all Big West team as a junior and UC Santa Barbara during this 2016 and 17 season. Um, and I thought this, I read this fact that I thought was awesome. His parents attended every single one of his 113 college games, both home and away. Um, that That's awesome. I love that kind of support. For sure. Um, and he ended, he ended uh, his career number one all-time at UC Santa Barbara for three-point field goals, a record that still stands. He's seventh in steals, ninth in points, and he was second-team All-Big West his senior year before getting undrafted and joining the league. Um, in 2018 was when he left uh, college. He, like I said, went undrafted and signed an ex- Exhibit 10 contract with the Kings on October 3rd, 2018, who waived him the very next day to allow them to sign him uh, to a contract with their G League affiliate, the Stockton Kings, where he got to stay home and play his first two seasons in the NBA, or G League, I guess. Um, and after after those two, uh, a- sorry, after the first year, he made a significant leap um, at, at playing for Stockton. He uh, he went from 18 minutes to game uh, per game to 31, from eight points a game to 23, and increased his field goal percentage from 38 to 47 with his three-point efficiency going up from 29 to an elite 42%, making him the G League 2020 Most Improved Player. Um, th- so obviously that's going to catch attention. That caught attention of Heat Culture, who signed uh, he who signed him to a two-way, uh, which he said he was adamant on his uh, agent to get right on signing that deal, and he said he grew up a Heat, player, a Heat fan too, which I found interesting. Um, so then he signed uh, the two-way with the Heat and their G League Sioux Falls Skyforce, and his first year he only had nine appearances um, where he struggled and averaged two points on 21% shooting before the next year appearing in 50 games as a full-time Heat player, doubling his points per game at a far more efficient 38% from the field before uh, they got swept by the eventual champions, the Bucks, in the first round of the 2021 series. Um, and then that summer, he uh, he joined the Nigerian team in preparation for the Tokyo Olympics, if you want to speak to that a bit. Yeah, um, I was actually at the game where they beat Team USA, I believe it was at Mandalay Bay, the arena there. And yeah, they were just like, it was a very shocking game to watch that day because it started early and started, the USA obviously started slow and it, it breathed life into the Nigerian team. And then as the game continued, you're like, okay, when is USA going to pull away? When is it going to happen? And then obviously Gabe Vincent was a huge reason why that didn't happen because he was making timely shots. I believe he had, what, 21 points in that game. And they were all timely buckets that cut the USA rallies and really stopped them from getting on a run to stretch the lead and make it so the Nigerians couldn't overcome it. Yeah, I mean, and we'll get into a bit of the U.S. team later, but for sure, I think that that um, that summer was pretty huge for Nigeria. Um, they had a, a bunch of uh, NBA players on the team, mostly role players, but still guys that were able to be really successful for um, the Nigeria team. And their coach was the um, 2023 Coach of the Year for the Kings, Mike Brown. Um, so yeah, and then which it's funny, there was actually three players on the Heat on that Nigeria team at the time including Precious uh, Chua and Casey Akpala, who's now um, on the Kings. But um, two years later, now he's the only player still on the Heat from that team and has stepped into a much larger role, especially this season. 
he started 34 of the 68 games he appeared in this year, and he's just been a really, really big connective piece, um, adding continuity on offense and a much-needed role where he defends the um, point of attack, uh, and he's really, really done well at applying pressure on ball handlers, disrupting offenses, getting in passing lanes, and just causing turnovers um, throughout, which is something that probably doesn't get a lot or enough attention in the media, but is uh, a role that is so incredibly important to winning basketball. Uh, in the in the playoffs, he's been even better. He stepped into a starting point guard role at points throughout the season, um, including every game but one in the playoffs because he was hurt. Um, and yeah, he's added he's added a real nice like catch and shoot movement threat to the offense. Um, and he's been able to create, sp- create space for himself as well as shoot on the move. Um, and it's something we lacked in, in a big way. So Yeah, he's definitely like a great textbook glue guy for a team like that. Yeah, yep. And we needed it, especially, you know, Kyle Lowry was down and hasn't played as well in general. So he's stepped up pretty big um, in that sense. While that's not naturally who he is, um, after game two, which Gabe led the Heat in with 23 points and four of six from three and a team high plus 22. Like, it can't be stated how important he was to that game to win. Um, but yeah, after after the game, Spo in his press conference, Eric Spolstra said, uh, "Quote: He took on I think the toughest role change for a young player. He was a gunslinger two guard. We wanted to develop him into a combo guard, somebody that could organize us, be an irritant defensively." tough learn to facilitate and run a team um and he just went on to talk about how much he embraced that role and how most guys would complain about wanting to be themselves in that situation um and he he did none of that and just took on the role head on regardless of how the the finals goes he's going to get a big bag and um unrestricted free agency um and uh i guess i hope that growing up a heat fan helps him want to stay certainly um, so I guess next we'll flow right into the um, a bit about the U.S. national team as they prepare for FIBA, if you want to open that up. Yeah, um, Grant Hill took over for Jerry Colangelo after the 2020 Olympic Games. Um, they've also revamped their coaching staff after Popovich stepped away from the team, hiring Warriors coach Steve Kerr, who was the assistant previously. They've also added Ty Lue, Eric Spolstra, and Mark Few to the coaching staff. Most, I believe they all have experience coaching with Team USA previously in other assistant roles. I think it'll just, as far as the coaching staff, I think there'll be a pretty decent continuity as Kerr is basically a Popovich disciple and runs a very Popovich style of basketball. So, Yeah, I think um, you bring up some good points. And that uh, <laughs> just that list of coaches uh, is ridiculous. It's like um, a dream team, right? Yeah. Um, and especially because they, like you said, um, Kerr is a, a pop disciple, but has such a um, high uh, understanding and, and uh, efficiency of offense and the way he um, allows his guys to uh, function on that end. Whereas like Spo has a ton of uh, defensive prowess and his ability to uh, change looks and throw zones at guys. And Ty Lue is also one of the most uh, skilled, um, I guess, like game plan and adjustment coaches of all time. Uh, it it it's that's as ridiculous as a 
uh, coaching room as I think you could get. Yeah, if, anytime you have four minds like that in one room, it's going to be hard to find any holes in anything that you can exploit. Yeah, and it's going to be important because um, uh, they're coming off the worst showing in U.S. men's national history. In 2019, the FIBA World Cup, um, they came in seventh, which uh, is just pretty unfathomable when you look at the history of uh, how the men's teams has done. It's unfathomable when you consider what the past was, but when you also see where the international game has been taken in the last decade or so, it's just there's so much more competition now. You can't put together a team that they've put together in the recent runs where it's not loaded with stars. It's just loaded with guys who are fine NBA players, usually all-stars, but they're not like the LeBron James, Kevin Durant, Chris Paul type players of like the 2012 teams or 2008. Like, and like you said, the teams definitely are getting a whole lot better around the world as the game becomes more international. Like in that 29, 2019 um, year, they lost to France, uh, you know, with Gobert and Fournier went off that game. And then the day after, they lose to Serbia with obviously Jokic, who had seven assists, and Bogdan, who led them in scoring. But it just goes to the point, like you said, like these teams these countries had teams that probably wouldn't even have been able to compete 10 years ago. And I always like to point out, like if Yugoslavia was still a thing and didn't disband in the nineties, their basketball team right now would probably be rivaling the United States. They'd have Jokic, they'd have Doncic, they'd have a whole list of NBA guys that have made roles for themselves in the league to go around that. Like, yeah, that's definitely the, the most fun. What if, um, an international play that that team would be really really hard to stop um but i guess that uh that kind of just makes me wonder like with the the other teams getting so much better uh is this something that you see like this fall will be different for the FIBA cup will we have more success um what might be the issues yeah i think we'll probably do a little better because we'll be more dialed in considering what happened last time out but also we're not at the point anymore where usa basketball is just going to go out there and waltz the gold medals and waltz the championships and trophies because the rest of the world like we've said is caught up and it's not at a point where it's the usa and then 10 miles and then the next best team it's the usa and then there's a pretty decent gap but not that sizable that it can't be overcome and then there's about five or six teams that can really compete with them now Mm -hmm. and like you said a lot of the guys um you know, it's not a, a redeemed team anymore with uh, uh, five guys who are probably top 30 all time, or at least three, um, whereas more so, like you said, just all-stars and, like, very good NBA players. Like, um, those of who have already committed for this year is Mikhail Bridges, Jalen Brunson, Anthony Edwards, Tyrese Halliburton, Brandon Ingram, Jaron Jackson Jr., Bobby Portis, and Austin Reeves. Like, all very, very good mostly all-star level players, but none of which are in MVP discussions. Yeah, see, that's like the type of team that you put it together and they'll go there and they'll win games. They'll probably be the best team on paper, but when you're putting them against national teams with the continuity of five to ten years with NBA players to boot, I don't see how they go in there and get a gold medal unless they add a star or two. Yeah, we'll see. And I think that um, adding stars definitely uh something that's still in the picture because like i know um we had mentioned to each other recently just something about the ups and downs um even slightly in success that we've seen from them throughout our lifetime 
and how like every decade or two it seems to be a bit of like a rejuvenation for guys um i know for us like i hear a lot of young guys that are around my age that are in the league and talk about how they came up on watching the redeem team and all the vibes with the banana boat and all that and um yeah i think it could really inspire like another wave of 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 more mvp candidates and top players joining yeah like you said like every decade or so there does seem to be a rejuvenation amongst nba players of like the international game and trying to get international accomplishments because one thing people don't also consider usually is that the basketball hall of fame considers your entire career they consider college they consider international play they consider your nba career they consider it all so it's not like these accomplishments don't mean anything if you have a stacked international resume like say carmelo anthony it's going to make your hall of fame case go over the edge when at you might have been in having trouble making your case yeah no it's a good point um and you know i think there's probably so many factors that play into why um there's rises and falls of whether guys want to play um and you know everything that comes along with that uh but yeah i I think um i don't know i think that that coaching staff and the uh the way that last one went i think it could go up for us but like you said it's going to be a lot harder than it used to be because of international competition it's definitely going to require more effort yeah so next i will go into the um our playoff awards uh kind of just all the regular season awards that you know but we're going to just judge them for um the playoffs uh yeah so i guess we should begin with mvp as um it's probably the biggest award um, the regular season MVP was Joel Embiid, and um, although we don't, although this uh, isn't settled yet, so it could, I guess, change. I have um, Jokic as my uh, playoff MVP. Yeah, I have Jokic as well. I, I consider Jimmy, but the the numbers Jokic is putting up and the efficiency he's been putting up is just absolutely insane. I think Jamal Murray deserves an outside mention for that as well, but. Jokic has cemented himself as the best basketball player in the world this postseason, and you can't tell the story of these playoffs without saying that. So, a hundred percent. And it's it's. Um, I agree. It's down to at this point him or Jimmy. I think, um, despite how successful the Heat have been, I think Jimmy's uh, claim to that might not be as strong as it was at the beginning of the playoffs, just because he was carrying so much with like the fifty-three point game against the Bucks and. Um, just his uh, domination in the Knicks series. It, it was, uh, he definitely didn't fall off since then, but he um, has had a lot more help in winning. For sure. Um, so next we got Rookie of the Year, which isn't really rookie. It's just rookie in terms of playoffs. Um, so someone who hasn't been in the playoffs yet. I mean, I thought this was pretty set in stone, obviously, with the Aaron Fox. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, a lot. Some of these are going to be, um, I don't want to say obvious, but pretty obvious in terms of who should win. So I definitely agree there. Um, like you said, it was his first uh, playoff series. I mean, playoff run, and um, he he won Clutch Player of the Year in the regular season, and he has just been phenomenal running that offense and in the fourth quarter. 
That Kings team to me felt like, as a Warriors fan, the uh, like 2013, 2012 Warriors teams that were like, they weren't there yet, but you mm. could tell there was something special that was being built there. There was something that just needed to, there was a piece missing. And I think if Sacramento finds that piece, they'll be fine. And De'Aaron Fox will be a longtime star in the league. Yeah. And it seems like a lot of those teams that have ultimate success have those periods where they, um, uh, you know, like you said, reach uh they have they're really successful reach a certain level and then um you know uh falter out from there but i agree i think that they're set up really well not just the and like you said the kings as a whole um have a really good young roster that has shown a lot this year i guess to bring other people into discussion despite it clearly being fox i also had um josh hart and austin reeves on here i think josh hart was uh, one of the best Knicks in that series. Um, he just plays such a vital role in playoff basketball in terms of, um, you know, switching on many different positions on defense and being able to fill gaps. Uh, and is just an incredible rebounder at his size. Like he, um, yeah, he he was really successful. And then Reeves, I don't know if you want to talk a bit about. I mean, yeah, Reeves was obviously very good. He filled in a role for the Lakers that they needed to be filled with Kentavious Codwell Pope not being in air anymore and with Caruso being gone. He's a much better offensive player than I would have thought coming out of Oklahoma. Like if you told me that lanky kid with the weird haircut out of Oklahoma two years ago was gonna become a legit offensive force and score twenty points a game in the playoffs, it would have been unfathomable. Hillbilly to me, Kobe. But, but yeah, um, no, it's a good point. I think he's kind of like the anti-Alex Caruso, like, <laughs> yeah, in the sense that uh, Alex Caruso is really one of the best guard defenders in the whole league, and um, in a Lakers uniform had a, some struggles on offense, whereas Reeves is quite the o- opposite and has provided a huge spark for that offense, um, but sometimes struggled on defense. Yeah, for sure. That's a good point. Um, so next is most improved. This... Um, can go to you know any age guy just someone who has either had uh a history of um lack of success in the playoffs or just some recent lack of success and has picked that up so i don't know who you had for that i chose caleb martin i mean i think the way he stepped up for the heat in the playoffs this year changed the course of his career i don't know how many guys you could say that about in these playoffs but i think caleb martin earned himself a long hefty payday at this NBA level based on literally just what he's done in the last month or two for this team. Yeah, and it's crazy to think that if it wasn't for J. Cole making the call to Karan Butler to get him a tryout in a literal scrimmage, then he wouldn't be on the Heat right now or maybe wouldn't be in the NBA. So, yeah, I think that's a very um, valid pick for most improved. I had Jalen Brunson, who went from uh, a second option on the Mavs, averaging like 20 in the playoffs, um, to care, to being the driving force of the Knicks offense and averaged like 28 on better efficiency as the number one um, in these playoff series. Uh, so I, I think that I'll at least say for after last year, I didn't know that he would be this capable of uh, driving an offense this deep into the playoffs. Yeah, he definitely... He's definitely a playoff riser as well. He sees that moment, even last year with the Mavs, and he's not a guy that gets faltered by it. He's going to come out and play calm. He's going to play collected, and he's going to do what he does. Yeah, no, 100%. And uh, 
I think although they um they lost to the Nuggets, I think Booker it it would kind of be um unfair to not mention him. He was he, <laughs> he scored the ball at an insane clip these playoffs. Like really really efficient. It's just uh team success clearly they didn't have it, but he it's not because he wasn't scoring the ball, that's for sure. He's also a guy that's been pretty certified. Yeah. Before this, we no, kind that's of true. maybe guess, not to this extent, but we've known that Devin Booker was capable of doing this for a team. That's a good point. I guess the reason I should have qualified it, the reason I put him in, is because his numbers compared to last year were way, way better, especially efficiency-wise. Yeah. Um, and so I guess not. We don't have to get too deep into him, but the other guys that I had for there were Derek White and uh, Mikael Bridges. Um, Mikhail because he took on a way bigger role on offense and Derek White has just been one of the best role players in basketball so next is six man of the year um, this obviously is for the best bench player um, throughout the playoffs I had like you had for most improved I had Caleb Martin I had Bruce Brown on the Nuggets yep I had him as um, my third I th- I had Caleb winning and then I thought uh, Brogdon deserves some talk about so did Bruce Brown and uh, Rui Hachimura I thought Bruce Brown sort of filled in. He's sort of like the Nuggets Gary Payton the second in terms of like he's that glue guy for them defensively, offensively. He also plays that like point guard center role where he's like he's on the low post and he's doing stuff in the low post, but he's still a guard height. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's insane that they were able to sign him at the the the, the figure that they were this offseason, which I guess we'll probably get into when we talk about exact, but... Um, I could agree, and I think for all the reasons that you mentioned, Caleb Martin deserves that nod for me. So next would be Defensive Player of the Year, uh, if you want to start with that. I had Anthony Davis for this simply because, I mean, he was the driving force behind the Lakers. We all saw it. We can say it's LeBron because we want to be LeBron fans, but LeBron was clearly hurt after the first round. It's, his foot was not the same. Even and That might have even been dated back to the regular season as far as his foot, but and he struggled on defense. This the playoff. prowess that Anthony Davis showed on defense for that team is what got them past the Warriors. It's what got them past the Grizzlies. And it's what even they didn't have a competitive series against the Nuggets. But if they were going to, that was going to be their one saving grace. I, yeah, I agree. I think you could – I had 82. I think you could argue that um, uh, if, <laughs> if they had a good backup or another option for when he was not on the floor, they would have – maybe had been had a lot more success against the Nuggets. He had through the playoffs when his individual defensive rating was a ninety eight point two, which is astonishingly low. Um so I agree, I agree. And then I had uh Bam and Aaron Gordon who I thought also deserve some talking about. For um coach of the year, I have Eric Spolstra. I have Mike Malone. I think that could obviously have gone either way, but like I said previously about Devin Booker, Spo has kind of established himself as like a great coach. We know Spo is going to change the mm. series. We know Spo is going to win the mental chess match almost every time. I think Mike Malone and his adjustments against the Lakers and against the Suns in the previous round are what made it so. I don't think he is like why the Nuggets have won. I think that's obviously because of the team they have, but he gives them another sense of like armor that. No, it's a good point. Uh, you don't just win games by having a bunch of good players. Um, it, it definitely matters to have the right systems in place and be able personable to um, engage with these guys. So I think for all those reasons, that's a good choice. Spo, I think it, it 
it doesn't require that much justification. We were in eight seed. The Heat were in eight seed and have just been looked like a completely different team in the playoffs. Um, and a lot of this has to do with schemes and how Spo has been able to uh, to um, tip the scale for us. So I think that for that he deserves that. And then I also had Darvin Ham and Tom Thibodeau as runners up for Clutch Player of the Year. Um, I have Jimmy Butler. That one seems kind of obvious to me, but. Whatever you think on it. For the purpose of enhancing the discussion, I chose Jamal Murray. Mm. I, I think his efficiency in the fourth quarter of these playoffs is it's well at the start of the Lakers series, it's why they pulled away in those early games. And who knows how that series ends up if they don't go up to uh, two nothing at home. If they drop one of those games in Denver, they could have been a lot in a lot of trouble heading back to LA. So I gave him the nod for that. Yeah, and as you mentioned that, I remember the uh, shot he hit over Brown late where they just gave each other a thumbs up because he was just so impressed. I, I agree. Um, and Jimmy, I think you could talk about the tipping inbounds that uh, he had as a game winner um, or the three free throws in Game 6 of the Eastern Conference Finals or just the takeover that he had in Game 3 on Drew Holiday where he was just hitting any three he wanted and dominating. Um, but, yeah. Um, and lastly, I think we'll get into executive of the year. Uh, if you want to start that out, I probably agree. I chose Calvin Booth from the Nuggets. I mean, for me, it was pretty obvious the team that he built around Jokic just from this year to the last. Obviously, he getting Jamal Murray back and getting Michael Porter Jr. back, which are his players that he's helped bring there to begin with. But yeah, I mean, to build a team around Jokic after getting sweeped last year and seeing that they got swept because they had to rely on Jokic scoring 40 and 50 to even have a chance in those games, I think building a team around him that has shooters and people that can rebound with him and get him the ball and that he can get the ball to has been all the difference for them. No, I agree. I had Calvin Booth as well. Uh, I think I would just mention that he traded Will Barton and Mar- and uh, and um uh, Morris for Kentavious Caldwell Pope. He was able to sign Bruce Brown at that contract, and he drafted Christian Brown, who has really stepped up in the playoffs as a 19-year-old. Um, and then uh, uh, the other two, I think I would mention Rob Palinka from the Lee GM rebuild at the deadline and the way that they reshaped that roster. And then also uh, Leon Rose of the Knicks and how they were able to uh, get Brunson and Josh Hart and Isaiah Hartenstein. And I think those changes really um, helped them uh, win the first series. So, yeah, I think uh, that covers our awards. And that's all we have for time today on Gucci Row. That's a wrap for Gucci Row this week. Thanks for tuning in on the Rebel HD2 with your hosts, Kevin Kelly and Will Dustbar. You can find us on Instagram at one Kev Kelly and Will Dustbar. We'll see you next time on the Rebel HD2.